Today our verse is just one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Hebrews 11, verse 20. We have another example of faith manifested in the life of a saint of the Old Testament. His name is Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, son of Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. A simple statement. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we approach you now as believers that this is your word, it is true, and it is for our benefit, it is for our Christian life, it is for our salvation, and everything that we need to know about you and our circumstances in this life, not only with ourselves, but others, we pray that you'll grant to us a better understanding, better knowledge, and that we will walk in godliness as a result of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This little verse right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, actually has much that needs to be unpacked because there are things in the life of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau that need to be explained since they are sometimes confused. Confused not only in relation to what happened in their own life, but also confused in terms of their relevance to us. So let's do that today. Let's see what it means for Isaac to have faith and to bless his two sons regarding things to come. Firstly, let's establish the fact that he makes this connection in verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed regarding things to come, even regarding things to come. He's saying here, in other words, that Isaac is another example of what we have already seen in this chapter, verse 1. Isaac is an example of faith, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. His faith was on the unseen world, or in the unseen world. It says it again in 11 verse 7, in reference to Noah. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. Faith is in things not yet seen. Not faith in a physical thing, but in a non-physical, spiritual thing. That's what faith requires. Moses also had this in 11.27. In chapter 11.27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. As seeing him who is unseen. Moses had his hope fixed on the unseen world. This is true, moreover, of us. If it's going to be true of them, it has to be true of us as well. That's why it's written here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, where he actually does apply it to us in another place. The, the Lord applies it to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The unseen world is the eternal world, and that's where our hope has to be. That's where our focus has to be. That's what our faith is in, in the unseen world, because we believe what the Word of God says, we believe what He has done already in time and space, in history, throughout the historical events of the Bible, we understand what it says and we believe in those things that it says. Our faith has to be just like the faith of Isaac in things not yet seen. Now, returning to Isaac, think also on this fact that Isaac did not see the things of which he spoke. He was a man of God and in the incidents of his life where he pronounces something about the future, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to say those things about the future. But even then, who is able to say things about the future but one who is a man of faith? And because he had faith, he was a changed man, a regenerate man, a man of faith, a man of God. He had this faith to see things and to say things about things not yet true in the physical sense and even in the spiritual sense. He was the one who was told by God that Jacob would be his successor in terms of faith and also in terms of uh, descendants for the nation to be built up into a full nation, a multitude of people, so that the 12 tribes will come from Isaac to Jacob and then Jacob's 12 sons. They would have the physical nation. But not only the physical nation, but the single descendant would come through Jacob, not through Esau. Even though both were sons of Isaac, the physical single descendant, the mediator, the savior of the world, would be Jesus Christ through Jacob. That had not happened yet either. And he's making this pronouncement 2,000 years before it ever happens. This means that Isaac's not even seeing it. He's seeing it by faith, but he's not seeing it in terms of reality. He was not privileged to touch Jesus as Simeon was in the temple or Mary and Joseph were. They, he was not privileged to touch Jesus like that. He was seeing Jesus from a distance because he believed in the word of God and he announced the word of God whenever God told him, such as in the incident of blessing Jacob and Esau. He did so because he was a man of faith. He also said things about Esau that he never experienced and never saw. That is, Esau in Genesis chapter 36 became a great nation. He had many descendants and then he had another territory near the land of Canaan, in, in the land of Edom. And in that land of Edom, adjacent to the land of Canaan, he had his own territory, he had his own nation that survived for a while. And many people lived there too. So this is the kind of faith Isaac had that he pronounced. And he pronounced it on things that he had not yet seen. This is a lesson for us that we need to not have our eyes fixed and focused on earthly and worldly things, but put as our priority the things of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. This is what the Lord is teaching us. He's even teaching us even when we're persecuted, such as these recipients to the letter, uh, of the letter to the Hebrews. 
These people were Hebrew believers, Jewish believers who were being persecuted, most likely from their Jewish brothers, Jew in terms of their nation, but also from the Romans. From the Jews and from the Romans, they're getting persecuted, and he's telling them, press on, press on, press on, it's worth it. Press on, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob pressed on, seeing things that were unseen. And then the question arises again. Is this faith a necessary faith? Right? Is this faith a precursor and foundational? And the answer is yes. You see, people think, well, it's okay for them to have faith, but it's not okay for me to have faith. I, I'll make it. I don't need to be like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I don't need to be like Moses and Isaiah. I don't need to be like any of those. I don't need to be like Paul. That's for them. It's not for me. No, it says in Hebrews eleven six that it is for us. Eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. There is no way to please God unless this faith is ours. Unless this faith is ours, there's no way, absolutely no way, to please Him and to come to God because we must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the only way to please God. And Romans 14, 23 says, without faith, it is, uh, with, um, he who acts without faith is, is acting in sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. 14, 23. So if we don't have true faith in Christ as the foundation of all we do, it is sin. Therefore, we have to have this kind of faith, true faith in Christ, that he is our righteousness. He alone is our means to heaven. He alone. If we don't have that, then everything we do is sin, no matter what we may think. Let's now see what he says about Jacob. Notice he only says he blessed Jacob and Esau. The text clearly says he blessed Jacob. This is the easy part in a sense because when Jacob was blessed, he was blessed in two ways. He was blessed with temporal blessings, physical blessings, material blessings, but he was also blessed with spiritual blessings. The text does not say so. It assumes so. It assumes that we are familiar with the book of Genesis and with the rest of Scripture and what it says about Jacob. Firstly, let's establish that he was blessed with physical blessings. He was blessed with physical blessings. For example, he had plenty of food. That is, even when there was a, a famine in the land of Canaan, even though he did not have enough for all of his people and for all of his animals, and that's why he had to migrate to Egypt in the seven years of famine, he still had plenty, plenty of gifts to give to the Egyptians and plenty of, of food in other kinds of ways to give in trade and to buy and sell in trade when he went to Egypt and to buy foods there. He had a lot of people who followed him and there were 70 individuals from his own household that migrated from Canaan to Egypt. So in that way, he had plenty of food, he had plenty of provisions every day, every day of his life. Yes, it was in jeopardy at times, but he had plenty. He also was promised the land. Remember, he was promised that his descendants would be numerous 
They would be like the stars in the sand of the seashore. The same promises that were given to Abraham were given to Isaac, were also given to Jacob. And Jacob was blessed with that reality. He had 12 sons. They became tribes. And those 12 tribes conquered the land of Egypt, entered the land of Egypt. They dwelt in the land of Egypt for many years as a nation. So in a physical sense, he had fame, he had fortune, he had many of uh, many children and descendants who became a great and mighty nation. Millions and millions of people that Moses delivered from the land of Egypt and Joshua eventually gave them through conquest the land of Canaan. So they became a nation. Jacob was blessed physically like that. But what about the spiritual blessings of Jacob? What about the spiritual blessings that he received? He did indeed receive spiritual blessings. Now, we've been emphasizing faith, but it's not as though Jacob was a man of faith from the time he was conceived or from the time he was in the womb. We don't know at what point in his life, at what age in his life, he actually was converted, but Jacob needed conversion, just like all of us need conversion. It's important for us to have faith, but the question is, how do we obtain that faith? How is faith brought about in an individual? It is brought about by the work of God. It is brought about by a miracle of God. God is the one who gifts faith. He first changes our heart, 1 John 5, 1, those who have been born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. Those who have been born, they are the ones who believe. So the Holy Spirit has to first change us and make us willing to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Make us willing to believe that we are wretched sinners that need to be redeemed, that need to be forgiven, that need God's mercy and grace. And that's what we cry out and we ask and plead with him for that kind of grace and mercy. Jacob, though the scripture does not tell us exactly at what point in his life, at what, what age in his life, he actually did convert. He was a sinner, just like all of us. He was dead in trespasses and sins, just like all of us. He was just like that. And at a certain point, God had to convert him and grant him faith and repentance. So he had, spiritually speaking, by this blessing of Isaac, this conversion, that was the, uh, a means, not the ultimate means, not the, the first means, but it was a channel. That is, he preached, Isaac preached the word to Jacob, and by preaching the word to Jacob, Jacob was saved, eventually in his life. But ultimately, it happened as a gift of God and by the grace of God. So that's one way in which Jacob was spiritually blessed by Jacob. Another way in which he was blessed by Jacob was in reference to spiritual offspring. Spiritual offspring. The, the Bible says that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the many nations of the world would have the same kind of faith as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The many nations of the world will have this by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit of God producing faith and repentance in many peoples of the world. And we will also believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed. So he was blessed with many spiritual descendants. But most importantly, he had a physical descendant who was both the physical and spiritual source of it all. That's Jesus Christ. Jacob is the one. In fact, 
Jacob was the, the one patriarch whose name was changed to Israel. Jacob had a name, uh, his birth name was Jacob, and then later in his life, his name was changed to Israel. God gave him this new name, Israel. And that name, Israel, became the one that mostly stuck, though both of the names are used for this one individual, Jacob. But the name Israel is also used to identify Jesus Christ. Israel is Jesus Christ. That is, Jacob was so blessed that his one descendant, the Savior of the world, would also be called Israel, or Jacob, because of the work that God did in Jacob's life, or Israel's life. How do we know this? Isaiah chapter 49. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49, 49, and verses 1 to 3. This is a messianic passage. That means that this is a passage that Isaiah the prophet preached 700 years before the coming of Christ, and he is speaking of Christ in this passage. Isaiah 49, verse 1. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me, and he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet, surely, the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. Some of your Bibles may have a capital, capitalization for these pronouns, the he and the me's here, and the hymns. If you do have that capitalization, that's because your specific English Bible edition is saying that this is Isaiah writing about a conversation between the Father and the Son to benefit the nations of the world. A conversation between the Father and the Son. And notice in verse 3, And he, that is the Father, said to me, the Son of God, Christ, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. There, God the Father calls his son Israel. Why? Because Israel, or Jacob, many centuries before, became another example and a model of faith and the grace of God at work in his life. So the purest form of Israel, the purest form of a man of faith, is Jesus Christ, because he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So these are some of the spiritual blessings that Jacob received. Saved from his sins, honored to have as his physical descendant the Savior of the world, and even the Savior of the world would have the name Israel as one of his many names, such as he's called a rock, he's called um, a stone, he's called um, uh, Savior, he's called Mediator, he's called Redeemer. He's all called many, many names like this. And also Israel is one of the names of Christ. So, so far, I think we understand what the Bible is saying. 
But I believe that there comes across a difficulty when we read Hebrews 11.20 that many people have not really considered. And that is in reference to Esau. Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed, uh, sorry, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. It says he blessed Jacob and Esau. In Jacob's case, that blessing included spiritual things. But in Esau's case, the blessing was only exclusively physical. Physical in that there was no salvation. There was no redemption. Esau was not saved. Now we need to say this categorically. Esau died as an unbeliever. We must say this because there are interpreters of the Bible who misinterpret Esau and say that Esau eventually was saved from his sins and was a believer also. They say Esau was a believer. They also say Pharaoh, who confronted Moses in Egypt, that Pharaoh was a believer and died as a believer. They also say Judas Iscariot was a believer and he died as a believer. They, these are three main individuals that some misinterpreters of the Bible present as though they are true believers, that they were saved from their sins, that God also chose them to be saved. Pharaoh, they say, Esau, they say, and even Judas Iscariot, when actually the scriptures say the very opposite. And that's what I would like to show you, that it is the very opposite. Let's see how Esau was indeed an unbeliever. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. When Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, had conceived, and the, the two sons were in her womb, they were twins. When they were in the womb, let's begin reading at verse, at Genesis 25, 22. 25, 22. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Well, when they were born... The firstborn of the twins was Esau. And this is why we refer to them as Jacob and Esau instead of Esau and Jacob, because Jacob was a man of faith. He was redeemed. So we say Jacob and Esau, just as it does in Hebrews 11.20. Though technically, chronologically, the firstborn was Esau. And here, God says by the word of God to Rebekah, the mother of these twins, the older shall serve the younger. Yes, there are going to be two nations and two peoples. So there's going to be a blessing to your descendants in that physical way. But the older son will be a servant or a slave of the younger son. Let's see further that Esau was an unbeliever. Genesis 25 and verse 27. Same chapter, verse 27. 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, 
for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. This verse teaches us that Esau had two names also. His name was Esau from birth, but also because of this incident, Edom. Edom means red, because he said that red stuff. I want some of that red stuff, that red soup. So Edom and Esau are his two names. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The birthright is a symbol of the spiritual life or the spiritual blessings that he did not care for. He did not want it. He rejected it. This is what its meaning is here. Esau despised his birthright. He despised it for some food. And claiming that he's famished and he's about to die. Well, if you're about to die, just eat a little bit or just wait a little bit or eat something else. But why do you have to sell your birthright to eat? You can find something else in the house. Eat something else. Why does it have to be that which is on the stove that smells good to you, looks good to you? Just eat something else and don't sell your birthright. But he didn't think that way. He thought very physically and not spiritually. Furthermore, on Esau and him being an unbeliever, we find in Genesis chapter 26, 26 and verse 34. At the end of the chapter... 26, 34. It says, And when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of the Ari the Hittite, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. They, the two wives of Esau, brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Why? Notice they're called Hittites. A Hittite was one of the Canaanite peoples who worshipped idols. They were unbelievers. He went and married unbelievers who brought grief and turmoil into the family when he should not, should not have done so. Remember, I, Abraham made sure that Isaac married a believer. That's why he sent, Abraham sent his servant to go find a believing wife, Rebekah, among his relatives to come and marry Isaac. But that's not the concern Esau had. He married an unbeliever, or two unbelievers here. Further, further, how do we know that he was an unbeliever? He was an unbeliever because the book of Malachi tells us so. Malachi, find your way to Matthew and just go back a few pages to the book of Malachi. Malachi Chapter 1. Malachi the prophet, who lived many years later, recounts the, the dealings of God with Jacob and Esau as individuals and as nations, both. Malachi chapter 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals 
of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this and you will say, may the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. There, God says that he loved Jacob as an individual and as a nation, and he hated Esau as an individual and as a nation. He loved Jacob and he hated Esau. And even though Edom or Esau wants to rebuild and reestablish themselves, God's going to make sure that they are destroyed forever. Romans chapter 9. Turn also to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, verse 10. Romans 9 and verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or evil, in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Here, the Apostle Paul confirms what we read in Genesis 25, 23, and in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. That is, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And this was declared to Rebekah when they were in the womb. It was declared to her when the two sons were in the womb, and this is how the life of Esau played out. God loved Jacob, but hated Esau. This is saying that God did not save Esau. That's the, the purpose, that's the meaning of it. And one more place, back to our letter, Hebrews 11. In, in Hebrews, actually the next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll start at verse 14, 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Mm -hmm. Verse 14, pursue peace with all. We are supposed to, as believers, because we love God, we begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love God, love our neighbor. This is how we pursue peace. Not only do we do that, but we pursue sanctification. Holiness, consecration, righteousness, obedience. This is what we pursue. And if we don't pursue this, no one who rejects sanctification will see the Lord. No holiness, then we won't see the holy God. Amen. No sanctification, we will not see the Savior. No obedience, then we will not see our Lord and Savior in heaven. This is a result of true faith and conversion. Then the example is Esau. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Root of bitterness coming short of the grace of God, trouble, defilement, these are ways to describe an unbeliever, not a believer. And then he illustrates specifically with Esau, 16. No immoral or godless person like Esau. Immoral and godless. This is Esau. We saw a couple of examples of that. Immorality and godlessness. And then he sold his own birthright for a single meal. And then, as we read in Genesis 27, for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. He found no place for repentance. He refused to repent. He wanted blessings without repentance. He wanted the grace of God without obedience to God. He did not want to turn from his sin. So Esau was an unbeliever. And we've already mentioned that Esau had physical blessings. Was he not? He became a great nation. He had his own land, his own territory, and his descendants lived in that place for a long, long time. For centuries they lived there, and at certain points they were even conquerors and, and, the, and the kings and the sovereigns over the people of Israel. They enslaved Israel for a time. They had much power. They had much wealth. The individual Esau did, and then his descendants did. Yet, he was an unbeliever. This is a fact, and this is a truth that is common in Scripture. And it teaches us that we need to be like Jacob, not Esau. Let's be like Jacob, not Esau. Others in the Bible who are like Esau, in one way or another. Remember Cain. Cain, a descendant of Adam and Eve. He built a city, which means he must have had much skill, much resources, much ability to be able, with plenty of riches, to build a city. And yet he was an unbeliever till the day of his death. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Sodomites, they are most known because of their sin of homosexuality, and they refused to repent of that. Yet they were very well off, according to Ezekiel 16.49. Ezekiel 16.49 says that they lived in luxury and abundance, and they practiced that sin. They let their minds be deceived that God's grace and favor was on them, spiritually speaking, because they had so much wealth. Yet they were wicked. Ishmael, Ishmael, a son of Abraham. Ishmael, a son of Abraham. Not Isaac, the blessed one, but Ishmael. Ishmael had also a nation that came from him. God promised that 12 princes would come from him. And he would also become a mighty nation, and he did. Genesis chapter 25 records that. But according to Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul clearly tells us that Ishmael was a wicked man and an unbeliever. Ishmael and also his mother, Hagar, they were wicked and unbelievers. The kings of Israel, if we read the book of Kings, there are the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, all of them are called evil. They're all evil. None of them were good. None of them loved the Lord. And yet they were kings. They had palaces. They had many servants and officials. They had plenty of food. They had a, a big army. They had everything that they would want. They had the respect of the people. They had everything. And yet they were on 
believers, just like Esau. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus announced this rich man and Lazarus. He describes the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man would not repent. Lazarus did repent. Lazarus was a poor beggar, and he did believe and repent, but not the rich man. He had everything going for him, but he did not have faith. The rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, you remember the rich young ruler who says to Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And then he did not believe in the good teacher's words. Because when Jesus told him to sell everything and give to the poor, because he knew that's where his real love was, he wouldn't do it. He walked away from Jesus. This man was wealthy. He let the wealth deceive him into thinking that the favor of God was on his life in a spiritual way, when it wasn't. It was only physical. Furthermore, Matthew 13. Remember the parable of the sower? Matthew 13, 1 to 23. The first ground, the different soils on which the, the, the seed fell, the first ground, they heard the word and Satan took it away quickly. The second ground, they heard the word and they, immediately they were happy about it, they were joyful about it, but immediately when persecution came, they fell away from it. They walked away from it. And then the third one, they had received the word, but then the worries of the world and the riches of the world distracted and controlled them and they also fell away. Only the fourth one had true faith and repentance manifested in fruit in their life. Only the fourth one, true faith. And then finally, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, verse 12. This has been his argument throughout this letter to make sure that we are in the faith. Hebrews 3, 12. 3, 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Verse 12. He addresses us as brethren, but he tells us to take care because we need to make sure we are true brethren. Because any one of us, as he says twice, in 12 and then in 13, he says, any one of you might have an evil, unbelieving heart, hardened heart, by the deceitfulness of sin. And if so, we might fall away from the living God. We might be one of those first three types of soil that heard the word, but then did not stick with the word, fell away from the word, fell away from the living God. And the proof of true faith is 14. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm 
until the end. Esau did not have this. Jacob did have it, holding fast firm until the end. And then the wrath of God or the anger of God in 15 and 16. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? He says also, the people, the vast majority of all the people, the millions of people who came out of Egypt with Moses, he says, they provoked God. They made him angry and he showed his displeasure and his anger toward them by making them all die in the wilderness. And why did they not enter the land of Canaan? Because they were disobedient and unbelieving. Disobedient and unbelieving. Yet, they had the physical blessings of seeing everything they, that Moses did powerfully by the hand of God in Egypt. They were sustained for 40 years in very miraculous ways in the wilderness for 40 years. They had all of these things that they saw but they didn't really believe any of those things. Jacob and Esau. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even concerning things not yet seen. Let's have the faith of Isaac and Jacob believe in the unseen world and let's pray that we, none of us, or none of our loved ones are ever like Esau. He who has ears to hear let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we, we pray that you will grant to us, each of us, true repentance, true faith, and may that show in a desire for godliness, the things of God, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit of God to build us up and to grant us grace to live day by day. Lord, we pray that we will live up to this, that each of us will be like this that we will cling to you and hold on to you until the end, until we meet you face to face. In Christ's name, amen.